0: If we can all drive to one thing that we all believe to be important, then that kind of dictates the way that we act the rest of the time. We need not just for the environment, but for ourselves to reduce our reliance on these fossil fuels for things like plastic. One of the things that I believe is that if you want to make the most amount of impact, you need to remove the most amount of hurdles.
1: Welcome to season three of the Beyond Capital Podcast. People always ask me, what is the secret sauce to marrying profit with purpose? We're back for another season to bring you the stories of successful leaders that are building and scaling purpose-driven businesses. I'm Eva Yazari, General Partner of Beyond Capital Ventures.
2: And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how conscious leadership translates impact in all facets of a business and how it can show up in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly.
1: Whether you're a leader of a company, team, household, or just yourself, we hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired to take action every day. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast.
2: Today's guest is Dylan Baxter. Dylan is the co-founder and CEO of Plant Switch, a company providing the highest quality biodegradable alternatives to plastic on the market. Dylan started Plant Switch his senior year at Southern Methodist University, otherwise known as SMU, where he met his co-founder, Maxime Blandin. They started Plant Switch to provide an eco-friendly solution to plastic that felt and functioned like a traditional plastic product, but without the waste and pollution that results from plastic. Plant Switch began with biodegradable straws and cutlery that are made from the upcycled agave waste from tequila production. Sounds like fun. Hey, Dylan, we're going to need some more tequila. (laughs) In three years, the company calculates it has already displaced more than 375,000 pounds of plastic waste that would have otherwise ended up in landfills.
1: Welcome, Dylan. It's great to have you in person in the studio.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So let's dive in. Can you tell us the story and the genesis behind Plant Switch? Why was this a particular cause or issue that that you and Maxime wanted to take on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So somewhat of a longer story, I guess. So Maxime and I met at SMU on the golf team. We were teammates and became really good friends. We both had exposure to plastic waste through our backgrounds growing up. So Maxime is from the French island of Martinique, which uh, he saw plenty of plastic pollution on the beaches and harming the environment that he grew up in. And I grew up in a smaller town in Texas called New Braunfels, which known kind of for its rivers and the tourists uh, that come to the rivers. And one of the big political debates in the town growing up, I remember was waste and bringing the cans and there were, you know, there was always the, the folks that wanted to have no bans so that tourists would continue to come and the others who realized the damage that it was doing. And from a young age, it was just kind of odd to me that you had to pick one or the other. You had to pick the business or you had to pick the prevention of waste. It didn't seem like that made a ton of sense. And so I think that's where my original exposure to the waste issue came from. Maxime and I both go to college, become good friends. He ended up playing professional golf. I aspired to play professional golf, ended up getting hurt about halfway through, and so got medically disqualified, had some things wrong in my back, and that was obviously disappointing, but it did force me to focus on academics and finding the next passion. And so I went the finance track, did the honors finance undergrad program through SMU, which great program. Learned a ton. Never really wanted to be necessarily a finance person, but was always very interested in the way that businesses were run. But at one of those jobs, I got exposed to the biopolymer industry, which we'll obviously talk about at length, but essentially that is just using renewable resources to create plastics and was just fascinated. I The more that I learned about it, the more that I couldn't stop learning about it. And it brought me back to those days in New Braunfels of wondering why do you have to pick the business from the tourists or the prevention of waste and why is there not a better solution and it seemed initially from looking at the industry like there was a lot of promising technology that would allow us to have a plastic material that is sustainable zero waste all of the things that you would want and so
2: so does this mean that this is a we're talking about forks you handed me a fork and straws kind of the two big ones as far as what you what you started with.
0: Yeah, so that's what we started with and that was I believe where instant product market fit was and made a ton of sense. Granted the business has e- evolved and always planned to be much bigger than that, but you know, we I'm sure we'll talk at length about that.
1: I love that you asked this quintessential question. Does there need to be a trade-off between stewarding the environment and business. And you created a business where you don't have to have a trade-off, where you actually have, I, I would love to know if you're net zero or even carbon negative in your production, but you really are able to marry both profit and purpose. How does that play out a little bit more for you, Dylan?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I believe is that if you want to make the most amount of impact, you need to remove the most amount of hurdles. If your impact is predicated on a ton of change in consumer behavior or a much higher price for the corporation or really just anything that implements a barrier to scale, you're not going to achieve the most amount of impact. And so the way that I approach sustainability is sustainability from the net zero perspective that you talked about, obviously using renewable resources, we anticipate that our production is carbon negative and are in the process of getting all of those calculations rounded up. But in order for it to scale quickly and to make sense, you need to remove those barriers, which means that your product can't be at such a significant price premium that it doesn't make sense for the corporation or the customer. And in order for it to be eco-friendly, the customer has to do, jump through a, a hoop and, you know, jump over a bar just to make sure that it's disposed the correct way. So we are really intentional in the way that we think about this and saying, we need to remove those barriers for sustainability in order for sustainability to happen at the scale that it needs to happen.
2: So let's take the straw. Does it get all soft when you're drinking
0: your soda or not? No, absolutely not. So that that's the really exciting part about what we've created is you are going to, if you weren't able to see the difference, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. The product is a true plastic material, but it's derived from renewable resources. And when you throw it away, it will degrade in the natural environment. And so that's what's so exciting about this new biopolymer industry is that you don't have the trade-off in performance. Tell me how the
2: degrading works. Is it fast? Is it slow? What are the basics of the degrading?
0: Yeah, so degradation in general happens from microorganisms and bacteria consuming a material. Um, They view it as food, they consume it, and that's the way that things degrade. The degradation of plastic takes thousands of years because microorganisms don't view it as food. And it's also a very strong molecular structure, so there's not going to be the impact of any you know, less microbial degradation in the environment. So for our products and other biopolymer technologies, the difference is that it's derived from these renewable resources, and because of that, the microorganisms and the bacteria that are necessary to degrade it do view it as food and then will eat it in that natural environment. So The rate of that happening depends on the amount of those relevant microorganisms in the environment. So you could say that if you were to just throw it randomly in your backyard, it would degrade slower than if you put it in a good compost pile. However, even if you do throw it and just throw it on your backyard, it will degrade in a relatively short time period, um, especially compared to that of plastic. So if you put it in that backyard compost pile where it has the right microorganisms and environment you're looking at probably around six months if you throw it just in the backyard it probably is over a year but you're comparing that to a timeline of thousands of years for plastics
1: okay and endocrine disruptors coming from plastics that get into our water supply have you looked at that in your research and microplastics is that what you're talking about yeah and the chemicals that leach from plastics
0: oh it's it's terrible the microplastics so just a, a stat that will make you, you know, you're going to depress me today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to scare y'all a little bit with this one, but we consume about a credit card's worth of microplastics every single year. So wow. if you think about that going through your body, it's, I mean, it's a very scary thought. And then that's not even considering the things that you mentioned, the the impacts on endocrine and there's been, so many studies that come out seemingly every day now linking it to cancers and all sorts of terrible things that it's become abundantly clear that we need not just for the environment, but for ourselves to reduce our reliance on these fossil fuels for things like plastic.
2: Cool. So you're based here in Dallas, and your product is made from the byproduct of tequila manufacturing, which in my intro, I was very excited to hear about. First of all, how much tequila do you personally drink every day? <laughs> Credit card worth? No,
1: <laughs> that was good. How
2: much? How much out there is there of this material, and are there? You know, what is the what is the um, way that you kind of think about the supply side?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll decline to comment on my personal consumption. But next time you're drinking tequila, you can feel good about what you're doing for the environment is what I like to say. So that's what I'm thinking. Exactly. We have the tequila derived agave derived products right now. We are also in the process of launching our first commercial production facility and the technology that we've developed allows us to use a, a wide variety of feedstocks. But The thesis is all around agricultural residues, which if you think about tequila production, they squeeze out the agave nectars, you end up with the agave fibers, and that's a byproduct of the process. You don't want to take feedstocks away from food sources. You want to take feedstocks that come from the production of food sources that don't have a very high value, if any value. And that's what all of our development has been centered around. As far as usage There's around 360 million metric tons of those agricultural residues that are produced in the U.S. every single year. The majority of those residues don't have a value-added purpose for the most part. It it gets burned or it goes to pet food. It's it's not a high-value source for the producers or the farmers. And so by giving that a second life we are not only not taking away from the food streams, but we are also providing additional economic value to those farmers and producers.
1: There's this concept of individuals should do more. And then there's also the thinking that, you know, we as individuals can't do enough to ever add up to what we need for, you know, climate impact. And you've created your business obviously to be B2B. So I can't buy plant switch products in the supermarket. You sell them to, you know, a whole host of customers, restaurants, food service, etc. Talk a little bit more about why B2B was so important to you and maybe unpack who, who is buying your products and, and what are they buying? Like what's the best selling product right now? Would we, would we be surprised by that?
0: Yeah. So it goes back to the whole purpose of what we do, which is to maximize impact. I think there's definitely a, a future in which we'll be in the retail D2C area, but right now, The volumes in B2B are massive, and it's the quickest way to make the most amount of impact, which is why we focus there. In regards to the best product, it's not shockingly the straw. Um, The straw Mm. is very popular. It's everyone's sick of the paper straw out there that isn't even all that sustainable, which I can go down the rabbit hole of why it isn't. But the quality isn't good, and it just goes back to if you want to make the most amount of impact, you have to make a product that is actually good, that isn't more expensive, or at least significantly more expensive, and doesn't have all of the hurdles that some of the products that have been sustainable to date have. So yeah, we work with most of the major national food service distributors. We work with a lot of great direct clients as well, restaurants, hotels, hospitals, golf courses. There's a pretty large market segment of people that serve food and drink, and that's basically our addressable market right now. And as we get into the launch of this facility, that's expanding to pretty much anything plastic, which is exciting. How
2: big is your company?
0: From a personnel standpoint, we're at right around 10 people right now. We are in the process of, as I mentioned, launching this facility, closing out a fundraise. We'll, we'll be likely to around 20 people by the end of the year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been crazy. Is that a distribution center that you're talking about or a manufacturing center? No, this is manufacturing. So wow. this at this facility, we will be producing the plant-based resin at scale which the business is pivoting a little bit. We've been directly selling a lot of those straws, forks, knives, and spoons just to get into the market. Um, Now we're transitioning even more B2B and creating this resin that we can give to plastics manufacturers, and they can make any type of plastic product, which allows us to, again, maximize impact and scale quicker. Oh, that's really cool.
1: So I want to draw a thread. I'm surprised, Ed, you haven't talked about one of your investments in the beet sugar byproduct business? I know uh,
2: I know it's very very um, similar space.
1: Yeah yeah it has an investment in a similar space which, which makes me think you know sitting in a room with two people who are in one way or another invested in beet sugar byproduct, agave tequila production byproduct, what other kinds of agricultural byproducts can be utilized for these products?
2: Well, let's just start with the, with the one that you yeah. mentioned. So this company that I invested in is called Cellucomp. It is a, um, they take the byproduct of beet sugar manufacturing, which is like the, basically the fiber. And so it turns into a fiber product, which is different than a resin product. So that's good in that we're not like direct competitors. The product itself would be used for um, any place where you would use like wood fiber, you know, kind of use cases. It's really cool because you know they figured out how to make it both oil and water impermeable and that's pretty unusual in mm-hmm. those fiber-based products. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other byproducts there are. This is like vegetable processing and then I was wondering besides agave where they what other resins there were, but there's probably plants that produce like gooey stuff, is it like pine or like what is you know what other kinds of plants make that?
0: Yeah, yeah, so it, it it's actually not really the resin, it's the cellulose. Very, very similar to that company that you've invested in. We are taking anything that is fibrous or really just has a rigid structure as an agricultural residue. Um, So think wheat straw from wheat production or rice holes from rice or pretty much anything that's a fiber or anything that has that rigid structure as long as it is cellulose heavy, that's really what we're looking for. It's not really about the resin because we're isolating that cellulose and then sounds like very similar to the molded fiber wood fiber products that they're making. Instead of targeting that application, we're compounding that with other bio-based materials to make a biopolymer resin. Right. You might buy our stuff potentially.
1: Well, what I'm also fascinated by is just this kind of like the intention to do this while you were in college and to start a company. I know you were kind of post college, but you met your co-founder at SMU. What you know made you kind of believe in yourself? Like what qualities do you have as a leader that helped you kind of bring this to fruition at such a young age? It's really impressive.
0: Well, thank you. Um I don't know. I started it as a senior and I think I can draw a lot of parallels to golf and entrepreneurship. Golf is very, you have to figure things out on your own. You have to have the self-discipline. You have to have the resourcefulness to try to solve the unsolvable problem, which is being perfect at golf, right? And so I think a lot of those skills transferred. I would say that leadership is a very similar thing to golf as well in that you're never perfect. And it's a constant development of, you know, trying to learn how to manage people, how to make them the best versions of themselves. And it's definitely difficult when you're significantly younger than them. I'm very early in my development as a leader and, you know, it's what makes it fun. I'm, I like the continuous improvement cycle.
1: Incredible. And you mentioned you have 10 employees and you're expanding. How do you create a company culture?
0: Yeah, I think it's just being clear on what matters for the company. And so, and it's also hiring around that as well. Most of the time you can't fit a square peg into a round hole. So you need to be intentional when you're hiring that you're looking for those values and characteristics of the people. I think in general, if they believe in the mission, that takes care of the vast majority of the cultural issues. It's if we can all drive to one thing that we, all believe to be important, then that kind of dictates the way that we act the rest of the time. You don't want to overthink it. You just want to be very clear on look, here's what we're trying to accomplish and here's what we care about.
1: And do you think it's the purpose or the financial opportunity that drives you?
0: It's definitely more the purpose. It's also, honestly, a lot of it is competitiveness for me. You know, the financial opportunity, I think everyone that is an entrepreneur, like obviously, you want to make money, but the drive to build something truly great is what really drives me and the purpose behind that which is maximizing the impact is the other thing that drives me much more than trying to you know calculate a financial number in my head right i really love building things i really love solving complex problems and this to me is such an important and complex and huge problem to solve that I'm not going to be bored for a very long time, which is very important for me.
2: Yeah, I think problem solving is one of the key attributes of an entrepreneur. You know, you just a big appetite for that, you know, just almost no amount is too much to, to have. I saw Uri Levine, who was the founder of Waze, mm-hmm. speak, and he wrote a book about entrepreneurship and that was one of his big ones was like when they back a team now he does he's not a founder anymore but he has like a little fund in israel and he was saying that the people who really like to solve problems it's like straight down the middle of the fairway for them and in, in successful investments so mm. i think you definitely have something there
1: it's such a good quality and it's fu- i think for entrepreneurs that i've observed and i feel this myself it's fun to solve problems it's something that you're almost looking for <laughs>
2: creating problems uh, not as, on the edge on the edge
1: I want to go in two different directions from here one is how do you measure the impact of plant switch
0: yes yeah, so we have I think two main impact metrics and that is waste reduction and carbon reduction so because our resin family is compostable Obviously, we are displacing a product that takes thousands of years to create in the environment we use for 30 seconds, and then it goes back into the environment for another 1,000 plus years. A pretty terrible system. Ours are obviously renewably resourced, happen once a year, and then they go away in about a year. So you're making a factor of 1,000x difference. That's pretty good. And then the other thing is because we are using these carbon negative feedstocks. I mentioned that, you know, cellulose is the primary component in in this plant matter. Well, you know, plant matter photosynthesis, it stores carbon at the molecular level, which means that there's a significant amount of carbon sequestration that's happened in the material, which means that our materials are carbon negative themselves. And so we have done our internal calculations. We estimate that there's a delta of about two tons of CO2 equivalent for every ton of resin that we produce of our product versus plastic. So for a plastic product, it's about 1.5 tons of CO2 equivalent for every ton of resin that's produced. And for ours, we estimate that we're actually sequestering about half a ton because we're utilizing these carbon negative materials. And our production process is not as emissions intensive as the Know, cracking and polymerization that happens for plastics.
1: That's incredible that you can you have a carbon negative product. That's that's really big. Does the market recognize that as unique?
0: Yeah, I, I mean I think so. It's again because we're just getting into this first commercially scaled production facility. A lot of these calculations have yet to be verified as we get running. So I try not to get ahead of the skis with any claims. I think that's really important in this industry. But we know that there's a large delta between what we do in plastic, and that matters a ton whether or not the market recognizes it or not, and we're also very confident that the market will. Thankfully, the, the USDA did recognize it, which was a big reason that we were able to get a grant that we recently got. But yeah, we we imagine that's going to be a big point going forward.
1: I was also going to ask, what are the tailwinds? I actually was going to ask, are there any subsidies, especially since you're using agricultural waste? What are some tailwinds for Plant Switch?
0: Yeah, so I mentioned the grant. We were recently awarded a $4.9 million grant from the USDA, uh, which was great. Thank you. Yeah, that was really exciting. We've been able to loop in Siemens as a project partner there, and a lot of it is around monitoring, verifying our carbon footprint, So that's a really exciting one. We'll have really great software and hardware to do that. There's been a lot of government tailwinds and legislative tailwinds as well. I don't know if you all saw, but the White House a couple weeks ago said that the pledge is to have 90% of all plastic material made from bio-based material by 2050. So that was a huge declaration from the White House. Obviously, there's been ton of single-use plastic bans in Europe, Canada, many regions in the U.S. So we see a lot there. And then pretty much every major corporation, whether that's food service, CPG, cosmetics, etc., has made a pretty bold commitment to their shareholders to reduce their reliance on single-use plastics or fossil fuel-based plastics in a relatively short time period. And I don't know that the industry is quite mature enough for all of them to hit their goals. So that creates a good problem for us to solve. But yeah, there's a significant amount of tailwinds. I think everyone's getting wiser to the fact that we should probably stop eating a credit card's worth of microplastics every year.
1: I imagine that amount might go up.
0: Yeah, uh, the study I'd have to look. Two
1: credit cards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the study was said that it would double in the next five to ten years or something like that. I'd, I'd have to look.
1: Two things. I, um, our, our listeners know me as an emerging markets VC, so I invest in Africa. And right when you land, before you get into Kenya, they tell you, you have to throw all your plastic bags away in the airport. Otherwise, you'll be fined because they've had a plastic bag ban for 10 years now, maybe eight. Any plastic bag. Any plastic bag. So you're scrambling for your Ziplocs and the things you've brought from America because, you know, we still use those things for convenience, and uh, trying to get them out of your bags. I mean, you know, I just thought it was really interesting that it's so enforced that they tell you on the airplane. And then the second thing, you we brought up cosmetics packaging. I, I add up my, like, personal consumption of cosmetics or in our household, soap bottles. And sure, you can do your best to use renewable, but recently I bought ceramic cosmetics in ceramic containers. Mm -hmm. They don't seal very well. So you kind of just keep them on your like your countertop and don't move them around. But I thought it was a beautiful product as well, really well designed. And they also charge a premium for it. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a industry I'm particularly excited about. We've partnered up with one of the larger CPG and cosmetics manufacturers. They have clients like L'Oreal and Unilever and some of the some of the big brands in the space. And I think there's a ton of demand for sustainability and beauty. And that's something that I'm particularly excited about. And, you know, you'll probably see some products on the market in the next year or so in collaboration with them. And hopefully we can, you know, start using plant switch material for the majority of your cosmetic products.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. It's a high-margin business as well.
0: That's the other thing. It's uh, the single-use space that we play in is definitely not that it's high volumes, but low margin, and the price sensitivity is extremely high. So as we get into these higher value, higher margin opportunities, it's obviously from a financial perspective quite good for the business.
1: So, do you have any competitors?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting what we do in the supply chain versus what everyone else does in the supply chain. And this is where, when I was originally exposed to the industry, I saw that there was a big gap. So what we do is we're compounders. So we're not making a base polymer. We're making a compound from a base polymer. So we're the second step in the supply chain. And in the plastic supply chain, that second step is a $500 billion market. But for whatever reason, in the biopolymer industry, there is no one that is commercially scaled focused on compounding biopolymers. So there's been tons of technologies and investment into that first biopolymer step, and that's necessary. But that step is really expensive to scale and takes a ton of time to scale. And to date finished goods manufacturers had been trying to work just with the basic biopolymer to make a product. And there's a host of reasons why that doesn't work as well as it could. And so because we specialize in that second step of the supply chain, we don't really have many competitors that are just doing that. It's interesting because we're kind of competing with our vendors, which are the first step in the supply chain, but the vast majority of conversations that we've had with them, they're very excited to work with a compounder that's able to fine tune the properties and reduce the cost. So it makes a ton of sense where we sit, but you know, I, I always feel weird being like, oh, we don't have competitors, but with where we're at in the supply chain, we don't really have true competitors that are doing that.
1: That's a really helpful explanation just to, just especially for listeners that, that don't know at all about this space. Well, let's get into the rapid fire let's questions. All right. What book is on your nightstand right now?
0: I'm reading Atomic Habits right now.
1: Oh, it's my favorite.
0: It's a really good one. I just finished the, the Steve Jobs book. That was a good one. I'm a very avid reader. Atomic yeah. yeah. Habits summary. I'm a, dummy. I'm a dummy. I know it's rapid fire. I'm yeah. sorry. It's okay. I, no,
1: we should get into it. It's no, a good one. No, this
0: is a great one. I'd recommend anyone read it. Atomic Habits goes through the psychology of how we develop both bad and good habits and basically is a textbook on how to get rid of the bad habits and implement the good habits and there's just so much fascinating information on the psych- psychology around the way that we work. So it's, it's a great book if you're trying to stop looking at, you know, Twitter five hours a day or whatever have you.
1: Do you mind sharing what habit you're working on?
0: Twitter, too much. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> How about you?
1: I was working on non-attachment. Oh. As we've talked about in the past. And okay. I was using Atomic Habits reward systems to do that. Okay. Micro-rewards.
2: Right now, I have a bad Dallas Stars habit.
0: <laughs> it's going on strong right now. I had a bad Mavericks habit. Mark, Mark Cuban took care of that for me. Yeah.
2: All right, so what is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Water. Caffeine-free. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. That's unusual.
1: I'm experimenting with no coffee. We'll get into that in a future episode. But God, I, I really know. admire you for water. That's awesome.
0: I'll do a matcha shot sometimes, too.
1: Nice. Name something that's giving you hope right now. I think there's
0: a lot of things. I think we focus as a society on all the things that don't give us hope, but when at least where I think in business, I get to see a lot of things that give me a ton of hope. I see new technologies on that first biopolymer side coming out every day. There's seaweed materials. There's, you know, companies like the one that you've invested in that are using the byproducts to have a more sustainable wood fiber. So it's very rewarding because I get to see all of these new exciting technologies all the time where we're all trying to tackle a very big problem, you know, rising tides lift all ships. And so that gives me a ton of hope really just on my day to day. What's
2: a big trend you're watching right now in the packaging industry?
0: Yeah, I think the trend has been pretty consistent for the last few years since we started the business. And that's just an overwhelming move away from using plastic. You see the biopolymers that we play in, you see the molded fiber materials, which are also really great and promising. But everyone is working on a more sustainable solution. And that's a very exciting thing to see.
1: Amen. I'm excited about that. Is there a biopolymer podcast or website or newsletter where you get your industry news? What is your favorite resource for staying up to date?
0: There's a podcast I went on recently. Called Good Garbage. That's a pretty good one. Uh, It's Ved Krishna. He's got a large molded fiber company in India, and he's talked to most of the leaders in the plastic alternative industry. So that's a pretty good one, and he's a good guy. So how do you like to unwind? Yeah, I still I still like to play golf sometimes. I work out a lot. I was wondering whether golf wound you up or wound you down. (laughs) <laughs> so it definitely used to wind me up. I approach it in a very different way than I used to, where I'm just trying to have fun. Um, so, it, wait,
2: quick question: How many golf clubs have you bent across your knee? Oh God,
0: uh, <laughs> not that many. I mean, you know, a few here and there. <laughs> wow, golf's a frustrating sport. Again, a lot of parallels to entrepreneurship. It's it's pretty brutal sometimes.
1: What's one piece of advice that you would give to a listener? who may be thinking of launching their own business.
0: (laughs) I kind of go back and forth between the just go and do it and like the make sure you know what you're doing. (laughs) like there's a bit of both there, (laughs) you know? It's like you have to take the leap and if you don't have the ability to just take the leap, you'll never do it. But at the same time, like you're getting yourself into something that's not easy. You need to be very aware that this is not easy and it's probably not for everyone. If it is for you though, You got to just do it. That's probably terrible advice, but (laughs) I I don't know.
1: Thank you for the rapid fire, and I, I would love to kind of go in one of the directions that we didn't get to, which was what do you see Plant Switch as in five years? Where are you going with this? What's your big vision?
0: Yeah. So our mission is to become the best in the world at turning plants into plastic, and More specifically, I mentioned that we're focused on that second step of the supply chain and we're really first to market to focus on that. And so our goal is to be the biggest and the best and to make the most amount of impact by doing that. I think that we are going to really validate this technology as the right step in the supply chain and we're going to act as an accelerant to this biopolymer industry. So our goal is, you know, we want to be the best at what we do. And that's turning plants into plastic.
1: Incredible. It's also an incredible brand that you've created and story. And again, to be carbon negative in your product, I think is highly impressive. So with that, do you have any last words for the podcast?
0: I really appreciate y'all bringing me on. And we're just going to go back to turning plants into plastic and hope that the people like it. Awesome. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Dylan. Great to have you. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way, and we can all make a difference.
2: You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter.
1: And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.